best meal in town. Price is right. I wish we could stay. <laughs> but our, our uh, fellowship group from our church is having a church brunch. Um, so uh, we're going to go off to that. Had we known about the church potluck, I don't know, maybe we would have not RSVP'd to that one. But uh, uh, we haven't been with them for a while. We, I get to other churches uh, quite a bit, so a lot of times we miss things that, that they do. So we're going to, since we're close here, last week I was 100 miles north of here, so that wouldn't have made it very possible. But uh, they're just over uh, on, off of Airport Road. I think we can get there in time, depending on the preacher this morning and how long he preaches. Let's pray. Our Lord, thank you for the strong arms that we have to lean on Jesus in times of good and in times of not so good. We thank you, Lord, that we have a good shepherd who is with us in the good times, in the hard times, who is with us all the time. So this morning as we look into your word, we pray that you will help us to not only uh, hear it, but uh, be willing to do it, and uh, just inform our minds and inspire our, our hearts um, as we open up the word of life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, turn in your Bibles or your Bible app, whatever you may have, or the Bible in the pew and in front of you to uh, Luke chapter 14, Luke 14. In Luke 14, we have one of Jesus' uh, table talks. I guess that's a good thing on uh, a potluck Sunday, is to uh, look at a table talk of Jesus that he told during a, a meal. And um, uh, the uh, parable, the, this table talk is a parable, actually, begins in verse 16 of Luke 14, and it's often called the Great Banquet. I have, perhaps you have titles above particular sections of your your scripture there it might say the great banquet or the great feast or the great supper or something very similar all, all appropriate titles for this parable but when we think of great banquets great feasts great suppers great dinners we think of the delicious food at these great meals seven course meals perhaps uh, wonderful desserts and so forth this morning however I want to change the title to this parable. Uh, those titles aren't inspired, so I'm not messing with the Word of God. I'm not changing the, the, the words of the parable. I'd like to change the title that was given to it. There are a lot of people given to it. I'd like to call it the Parable of the Great Invitations. The Parable of the Great Invitations. Taking the focus maybe on our, our thinking about food to the invitations in this parable, which hopefully you'll, you'll know why I did that as we work through our text this morning. But before getting to the parable itself in verse 16, uh, let's look at what leads up to this parable uh, at the beginning of the chapter. In, in verse 1 uh, of this chapter, we see that Jesus went to eat in the home of a leading Pharisee on the Sabbath. That's important. On the Sabbath. That's a mid, or sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night in, in the Jewish tradition, but it was their day of rest, okay? Um, so he went to the home, apparently by invitation, uh, by this Pharisee on the Sabbath to eat a meal. Now, when Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with them, it, it wasn't because they wanted to listen to him. They didn't want to necessarily invite him to listen to his teaching. They didn't want to learn from him. 
On the contrary, he was often invited because they wanted to catch him in a trap. And uh, this is uh, exactly the setting we have here. As we see in verse 1, at this meal it says that the people were watching Jesus very closely. Uh, a man with dropsy was there, a swollen arm, a swollen leg. Did he simply wander in from off the street into this Pharisee's home at mealtime? More likely, he was planted there by the Pharisees just to see what Jesus would do with this man who had dropsy. And Jesus knew that they were watching him. He knew that they were watching to see what he would do. So he asked them if the law permitted him to heal on the Sabbath or not. The response, crickets. They didn't answer him. They couldn't answer him. Oh, they, they knew what they wanted to answer. But if they said the law permitted it, they would be giving permission for him to break the Sabbath regulations. But if they said that the law uh, uh, didn't give him permission, they would be revealing how hard-hearted they were toward this poor man with dropsy. Jesus put human needs above Sabbath rules, and he reached out and he touched the man, and he healed him. Now, Jesus read the Pharisees', Pharisees thoughts. He's a, good, he's a good mind reader. In fact, he usually just goes right to the heart. He understands their hearts. <laughs> um, but he understood their hearts, and he understood their thoughts. And so he turned to them, and he said, Which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your ox falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him or it out? He asked them another question. Which of you wouldn't do this? Again, the response, silence. They would have to admit that, of course, they would work on the Sabbath under those certain circumstances. And by the way, I have always wondered about this leading Pharisee who was hosting a meal on the Sabbath. Wasn't he requiring his servants to work on the Sabbath to prepare and to serve the meal? Or whoever was preparing and serving the meal? Well, we won't worry about those details. It's not the, the, the exact point of the parable. Interesting, though. But while the guests were watching him, Jesus was watching them. And he noticed that all who had come to the meal were trying to get to the places of honor near the head of the table. But once again, he spoke up. Whenever he did that, the Pharisees usually got really uncomfortable. And uh, usually his words to them were not very complimentary at this point. And uh, he said uh, he gave the guests this advice about the seating chart. He was talking to the guests now who were coming, who were trying to get to the places of honor, getting maybe shoving one another out of the way. And he was speaking to the guests, and he said, Don't sit in the seats of honor. What if someone more distinguished than you has been invited? The host will come and kick you out of your place. Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take a seat at the foot of the table. And instead, go first to the foot of the table. And when the host arrives, he will move you up to a higher place of honor and you won't have to be embarrassed. Jesus knew his Bible really well. It was the word of God. He was the living word of God. He knew his Bible very well. Perhaps he was thinking of Proverbs 25, verse 7, that says it's better to wait for an invitation to the head table than to be sent away in public disgrace. Well, he was confronting their pride. 
their self-confidence, their pride that they could have the seat of honor, their self-confidence that they were worthy of the, of the seat of honor, and he was taking that on head on. Then he turned to the host Pharisee. He, he had given his attention to the man with dropsy. He had then turned and spoke to the guests who were there, and now he turned and focused on the host, the number one Pharisee there. He spoke directly to them, and by this time, I think that the Pharisee was probably wishing he had never invited Jesus to come to this meal. Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He had criticized his guests about where they sat, and now he turns to focus on the host himself. Verses 12 to 13, we see that Jesus said to the host that he should not only invite his friends and rich neighbors to his luncheons or his banquets, he actually should invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, something the host Pharisee would never have thought of doing and never would do. This was really uncomfortable table talk. Jesus had turned the tables on those who hoped to catch him incriminating himself. Now, we're down around verse 15 by now. When no one knows what to say or doesn't want to say it, and there's silence, there always seems to be somebody in the crowd who feels obligated to speak up and say something. The late Pastor Warren Wiersbe said, Blessed is he who has nothing to say and cannot be convinced to say it. Well, there was one such man who had nothing to say and uh, was convinced that he ought to say it. And uh, so he spoke up, verse 15, this is where we enter this parable. Uh, the, the man at the table with Jesus exclaimed, perhaps rather piously, what a blessing it will be to eat the bread in the kingdom of God. He was probably one who tried to get a place at the head of the table. And he's saying, oh, what a blessing it will be to be eating bread in the kingdom of God. He was probably that Pharisee, one of those Pharisees who shared his exclusive attitude uh, that God's kingdom was reserved for only the pious and the law-keeping Jew. Jesus challenged that attitude by telling another of his table story and once again making the Pharisees the uncomfortable focus of his story. The story is going to expose the sad consequences of the false confidence that they had in themselves and in their rule keeping and, and in their re religious elitism and establishment. And actually there are three invitations in this parable and that's why I called it the parable of the great invitation. Look at the first invitation. The master of the great feast sent out many invitations to his peers and his associates. A, a general invitation would have been sent out announcing that there was a banquet coming but it wouldn't have announced the hour, but it would have announced that they were invited and to await the announcement that the banquet was ready. The initial invitation announcing the banquet was coming uh, obliged the guests to respond when the announcement was then called out and said, now everything is ready, so it's time to come. Don't hesitate. They were obliged to respond. Uh, we've all heard our mothers say, haven't we? Uh, Lunch is ready. Come right away. And if you were like my brother and I, uh, there were probably about three more invitations that ended up with a command. If you don't get here right now, I'm putting the food away. Well, everything was ready. There's nothing complicated about this. 
Everything was ready. The call went out. So, so all you have to do is take the first step, come to the banquet that's been prepared for you. The master of the banquet sent his servant to summon the invitees. Now, it's at this point in the story that, that the parable takes a surprising twist. The host was ready. The table was ready. The food was ready. Everything was ready. However, the invited guests were not ready. Verse 18 says that all, you've heard me say this before when I've been here many times, all means all, and that's all all means. Not more, not less, just all. Verse 18 says, all the invited guests who had accepted the invitation rejected the summons to come by making excuses uh, why they were going to be no-shows at this great feast. An excuse, uh, Evangelist Billy Sunday used to say, is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. Pretty true, isn't it? <laughs> That's why it's an excuse. It sounds like a reason, but it's really a lie. Jesus singled out three people out of these invited guests, three examples of the kinds of excuses and insulting refusals that were given for not coming to his great banquet. And obviously there were more than three invited guests. It said he invited many to the banquet. But he only needed, Jesus only needed three examples to show the absurdity of the many excuses that were made up in, in this parable. One was a property owner, one was a plowman, and another was a newlywed husband. Let's take a look at these uh, three examples of these invited guests who said, I can't come. The property owner, verse 18, he says, I've just bought a field and, and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Everyone listening to this parable would know that this was a bald-faced lie. No one bought a field in the Middle East without first knowing every square inch of that field before the deal was settled. Who of us would purchase a piece of property and after the closing then go and inspect that piece of property? Who would, uh, who would of, of us, well, maybe I shouldn't ask that, maybe there are some of you, I don't know, but who of us would, would uh, go to a closing for a house that we have never seen, never seen pictures of it, and, and, and we close on it, and then we say, we better go look at what we just bought. That's the excuse here of this property owner. I better go look at what I just bought, so please excuse me, I, I cannot come. That guest is affirming that there are more important things in his life than his relationship with the master of the banquet. Then we have the plowman, verse 19. He says, I've just bought five pairs of oxen. I was an English major, not a math major, but I think that's 10 oxen that he just bought, five pairs, and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Kenneth Bailey, in, in his book uh, about parables, observed that teams of oxen are sold in the Middle Eastern villages in two ways. One way is, in some places, the team is taken to the marketplace. At the edge of the market, there will be a small field where the prospective buyers uh, may test the oxen to see if they can pull together. Another way is, in a smaller village, the, the uh, farmer who owns the, the oxen announces that he wants to sell his team, and he announces when he will be working the team in, in the field. And uh, so prospective buyers would arrive and watch that team working together and may even be able to test drive the team themselves uh, to see if they are fit for purchase. All of this takes place before there is any negotiation of the price. 
And so the people hearing this parable that Jesus was telling knew that was a bald-faced lie. No one ever does that. Uh, a contemporary example may be a husband who calls his wife and says, you know, I know it's my birthday, and you have prepared a really special dinner for me tonight, but I'm just not going to be able to make it home for dinner. I, I just signed a check for 10 used cars, which I bought over the phone, sight unseen, and now I, I have to go and uh, to the used car lot and uh, see if any of them will start, and if they do, I'll test drive them. That's the absurdity of this excuse. I can guarantee that's a last birthday dinner that man will ever have prepared for him. The last time this plowman would ever be invited to the master's future banquet. If the banquet was held in the evening, as they often were, uh, it was going to be too dark to inspect a field. It was going to be too dark to test five teams of oxen. Just another example, as I said, of the absurdity of these excuses. Then verse 20, we come to the newlywed husband. I just got married. And instead of saying, please excuse me, he simply said, I can't come. I, I can't come. He didn't know that he was getting married when the banquet invitations were sent out. Uh, had there been a wedding that day, the banquet host would not have planned a great feast for the same day uh, as uh, no village could have two major occasions at the same time. As I said, the newlywed didn't even say please. As the first two did, he simply smoothly said, I can't come. Another flimsy excuse and rejection of the host's invitation and of the host himself. These excuses and the wholesale excuses of all who were invited boiled down to, we don't want to come. We just don't want to come. Even though we all accepted the invitation, we aren't coming because we don't want to. The excuse makers symbolize the Jewish insiders, the Jewish insiders, the religious leaders, the religious elite who rejected Jesus, who had great confidence in their own righteousness. The Pharisees hearing this table talk parable knew Jesus was talking directly to them, the insiders. And they represent people today who are familiar with Jesus, but who aren't followers of Jesus. Those who think their familiarity with him their good works will automatically qualify them as insiders who will be included in the kingdom of God without having to wholeheartedly follow him. These were the insiders. Do any of these excuses sound familiar to any of us this morning? I wonder how many there are today who are too busy with occupations, uh, possessions, relationships, too busy to have any room in their lives for Jesus or who have any time to accept his invitation to come to the salvation banquet. I have more important things to do, they say. More important things in my life, more important relationships in my life than Jesus. Someday, perhaps, but not today. By the way, someday never comes. Someday is the eighth day of the week. Today is the first day of the week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Someday is the eighth day of the week, but it never comes. Those were the insiders. Someday they were hoping to get another invitation to the banquet. Well, there's a second invitation. When the servant went back and told his master that the invited guests uh, weren't coming and what they had said, the master, it says, was furious. 
His anger is understandable. He has been publicly insulted and rejected, but his response was a response of grace. The banquet must go on. It's prepared. Everything is ready. It is not postponed until a later time. The host had the table set, but no one to sit at it. The food was exquisitely prepared, but no one to eat it. So he sent his servant into the streets and the alleys of the town to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Does that sound familiar, what Jesus told the Pharisees before he told this parable? That the Pharisee who was hosting the, the meal, he said, you should go out and not only invite your friends, but, but invite the, the, the crippled, the lame, the blind. In other words, invite the outcasts. Almost as remarkable as the excuses made by those first invited was the second guest list. They were outcasts of the town. The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame would not consider themselves worthy enough to be invited to, let alone accept, such a gracious invitation to the master's table. The poor couldn't purchase a field. The poor couldn't test drive a team of oxen. The crippled and the lame probably would never experience marriage. But they were given a great invitation by a great host to a great banquet. What grace. What grace. These outcasts symbolize the tax collectors and the sinners of Israel who were attracted to Jesus and to whom Jesus went who were attracted to and accepted his invitation to come. Like Levi, the tax collector, who actually invited Jesus to his home for dinner, along with other disreputable sinners. Like Zacchaeus, who dismounted from his perch in the sycamore tree when Jesus came and said, come down, I must be a guest in your home. The outcasts were invited to come. There's a third invitation. The table was set, some of the outcasts came, those who were invited came, but the table was still not full. There was still room for more, so the host sent his servant outside of the town to find people traveling the country lanes and lingering behind the hedges around the fields to urge all that he found to come to his, so his house would be filled. The insiders refused to come. The outcasts had been invited and had come, and now the outsiders were invited. The gracious invitation by the host was so unfathomable and unbelievable to them. They had to be urged, the text says. They had to be urged to come into the town for the banquet. It sounded too good to be true. They, they weren't Jews. They were outsiders outside of the town. It sounded too good, it but it was true. The host was inviting them. Now come. While those in the streets and alleys of the town symbolize the outcasts of Israel, there is a general agreement, at least, uh, with Bible scholars today, that Jesus was referring to these outsiders as representing Gentiles outside of Israel. There's room at the table for them, too. For God so loved the world, the world. Now, I don't know 
all of your backgrounds, but I would imagine that we are the outsider. I would imagine that we are Gentiles who have been allowed into the kingdom of God, who have been allowed into the, the banquet of salvation. We represent those outsiders. The insiders were invited, they refused. The outcasts were invited, though unworthy as they thought, they accepted. And the outsiders who thought it was too good to be true, but whom the servants said, you have been invited, come. Yes, you come, also were included. Jesus' final words of this parable in verse 24 serve as a warning for those who refuse the invitation to come to him and to experience his salvation banquet. He says, none of those I first invited will ever, first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. You see, I think the outsiders thought that they would get another invitation or, or maybe uh, uh, the, the host would just postpone the banquet because they couldn't come, the invited guests, and maybe he would have a banquet at another time. The fact of the matter is, they were gonna play this for all it was worth. If they weren't willing to come now, they weren't going to come three days from now. They didn't want to come, but they thought maybe at the last minute they'll just squeak in and there'll be a convenient time. And again, like I said, someday, but it never came because Jesus said in his parable, none of those first invited will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. No matter how familiar with Jesus people may be, if they refuse to be his followers, they won't taste the blessings of salvation in the kingdom of God. This is a full course, dine-in, sit-down banquet. Not a carry-out banquet, not a, not a, a delivery banquet at the guest's appointed time, not at their convenience. The section immediately following the parable is about what it means to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus. And uh, we won't get into that today, but if you'd like to read that to find out what it means to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus, just read following this parable. Hebrews 2, 3 says, what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself? Now, before I close, and again, I've told you sometimes, you know, we had three invitations, but there's one more thing before I close. You just don't know how long it's going to take me to get to the, to the end. But it's very important that we focus right now on this one thing. Aside from the host, aside from the insiders who refuse to come, aside from the outcasts and the outsiders who responded to the invitation, there is one other person in this parable whose significance we haven't considered. Do you have any idea who that is? The servant. We haven't talked about the servant. What about the servant? What, what's his part in this parable? Well, he is sent to go out and to seek outcasts and outsiders. He went wherever and to whomever he was sent. He is sent to go and tell. Tell what? That they are invited to the great banquet, that everything is ready, so now come. Yes, you are invited. Now come. The host wants you to come. 
the servant represents Christians whom Jesus sends to make disciples of all nations. We are sent to go out and to seek outcasts and outsiders, those whom Jesus came to seek and to save, those lost. Christians are sent. Go and make disciples of all nations, those whom Jesus sends to be his witnesses, telling people everywhere about him in Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. Jerusalem first. Well, I shouldn't say first. Really, to me, when I read Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the world, sometimes we say, well, we got to save our Jerusalem first, then we'll go to Judea a little bit outside, and then we'll go to Samaria, and then we'll... No, it's wherever you are. If you're in Jerusalem, if you're in Judea, if you're in Samaria, or if you're in other, other parts of the world, you are to be my witnesses, wherever you are. And so, whether you're insiders, whether you're outcasts, whether you're outsiders, Jesus sent the servant to proclaim the banquet is ready. Some responded and some didn't. It wasn't the servant's responsibility to get them to respond. It was a servant's responsibility to tell them the good news. You've been invited and the banquet is ready. So the great invitation parable can also be called the great grace parable. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace into which people enter by receiving an undeserved gift from God. At the beginning of this parable, the master sent out the servant to announce and to invite. That was an act of grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us that God saves us by his grace when we believe it. We, we can't take credit for it. Uh, it's a gift from God, it's, the, the scripture says. Uh, salvation is not a reward for the good things we do. If so, we would boast about them, which many people do. Romans 6.23 says that the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There was, no, there was no banquet ticket that needed to be purchased. The master had already taken care of all that. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus died on the cross for my sin. He died on the cross for your sin. He died on the cross for the sin of the world. And now everything is ready. Have you responded to his invitation to come? I, I, I hope you have. I trust you have. If not, his invitation is still open. It's still open. And if you cry out to him, he will hear you. The Bible promises that if you declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Even if you're an insider, even if you're very familiar with Jesus, but you just haven't become a follower of him, he still accepts insiders. If you're an outcast or if you're an outsider, the invitation is open. For those of us who have accepted the invitation, remember we are servants. And the banquet, the table, banquet table, is yet not full. That's why Jesus has not come again. He is still inviting others to his banquet, and he's counting on his servants to do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, each one of us in this room this morning represents one of the personalities in this parable. Uh, some of us may be refusing your invitation to come because we think we're good enough and we can name our own terms. Uh, some of us think uh, we are too unworthy to accept your invitation to come, while others of us have said yes to your great invitation to come to you through believing 
that John 3.16 is true, that whoever, inner, outer, outcast, whoever believes in you will not perish but have everlasting life. So whoever we are in this parable, Lord, grant us faith to believe, grant us faith to receive, and grant us courage to be your servants of the gospel wherever we are sent. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.